0: Yeah, as you said, Genesis 2, 15 to 25. It's right at the front. First book of the Bible, second chapter, uh, starting from 15. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die the lord god said it's not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him now the lord god had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that was its name so the man gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky and all the wild animals but for adam And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is u- is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame.
1: On night Church, good to be with you tonight. If I haven't met you before. I'm Nathan. I'm one of the ministers here, and we are in. In fact, looking at the topic of marriage, hopefully you got that by now, keep the passage open in front of you. I'm going to pray as we get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to, to be here together, even though we're apart. We pray, Lord, that uh, you may indeed uh, speak to us by your word through your spirit, um, that we may gaze on your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the truth. In my seven years of full-time ministry, there is no topic I've preached on more than the topic of marriage. And that's not because I'm some marriage expert. It's because one of my jobs here at St. Matt's is to marry people. Now, since starting here, I've officiated more than 20 weddings, including Nick and Bella's midnight marriage on just four hours of notice. Thanks, guys. (laughs) And because of the restrictions on numbers that night, we actually had people standing on the Anglicare bins out on Dali Road watching through the stained glass windows at 12.30 in the morning. Wild times. Now, as many of you will know, I'm married to Belle, and we're going to be celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary in December, which is lovely. But that doesn't make me an expert on marriage either. Does it, Belle? (laughs) She's shaking her head. Now, what do you say about a topic as massive as marriage? You know, how do you fit everything in? What do you, what do you leave out? The truth is, you can't say everything. The good news is that next week we're going to take a look at dating, how to approach marriage well. And the week after that, Stu's going to be t- taking us through the goodness of singleness, because it turns out that marriage is by no means the only option, and in fact, there may actually be a better option. At the end of the series, Bell, Stu, Andy, and I are going to be hosting a midweek Q&A night on Zoom. You've heard about that already. There is a number up on the screen. And I want you to text through questions as they come to you throughout the rest of these next three weeks. Text them through to us, because that night's going to be the chance for us to catch up on all the stuff that we can't include in these talks. Now, as a final disclaimer, and I know Stu's mentioned this already, but I just want to, before we get started, before we as we embark on the next three weeks together there there may be those for which uh, some of these topics are painful or difficult uh, because of past experiences you know relationships are powerful things and because of that they have both the power to bless our lives but also the power to wreak havoc in them and we live in a broken world don't we Our hearts go out to you if you carry the trauma of broken relationships. And if that is you, please do reach out to us so that we can help support you. Tonight is not about saying everything there is to say about marriage. We'd be here forever. But what I will try to say is one of the things that I've become convinced we need to hear the most. Whether you're one of the four night church couples on my list to marry over the next six months, like Sav and Dan or whether you're one of the many single people among us expecting to get married or perhaps not, whether you've been married for a bunch of years or even a bunch of decades like Pete and Judy Hicks, whichever category you fall into, the thing I'm convinced we need to hear, what my own heart needs to hear, is that marriage is more. Marriage is more. You see, too often, I think the way we regard marriage or the way we approach it even the things that we idolise about it, is way too small. Like we're settling for a view of marriage that's limited and thin, as if we've lost touch with the robust reality of, of what it actually is. Now, I'm not talking about how important we think marriage is. I think we, we're often guilty of overemphasising its importance in many ways. You know, as if someone is somehow incomplete if they're not married. Stu's going to highlight the absurdity of that way of thinking in a few weeks. I I think it's possible for us to idolize marriage and yet still have too small a view of what it actually is. Now, there's three ways marriage is more that I just want to touch on for us tonight. It includes more, it offers more, and it expresses more. What does that mean? Well, I think the Bible is clear that a flourishing marriage includes more than just you two. I'm not talking sister wives here, just to be clear. Sorry, Mormons. But our marriages are meant to include others. And we'll talk about who that might be when we come to it. Secondly, it offers more. It offers more than just your happiness. Like, happiness is good. Who's going to say no to happiness, right? But marriage offers to do way way more than just make us happy and then thirdly marriage expresses more than just your love we're going to come to see what else exactly that might be when we come to the end now marriage as we see it in genesis chapter 2 as it comes to us in the bible it includes more it offers more and it expresses more that's where we're heading tonight But before we get cracking into that first point, it's worth spending just a moment, I think, reflecting on how it is we got here. Why has our view of marriage grown so dim in comparison to the the glorious reality? Well, in a word, I think you can chalk it up to individualism. Now, without going too far down the rabbit hole, individualism is a philosophy that puts the moral worth and freedom of the individual above all else. It's a way of thinking about our world that's really dominated the Western culture for for centuries and particularly came to dominate in the West during the Enlightenment period in the 17th and 18th centuries. Now under the influence of this way of thinking, the meaning of life then kind of becomes the quest for self-fulfillment. And the greatest good is all about determining who I am and then having the freedom to go out and fulfill my needs. Today, that way of thinking is, is really the order of the day. It's, it's the air that we breathe. And so much so that it doesn't even feel like it's a way of viewing the world, right? It just feels like it's the way that it is. Do you sense that? And it shapes every area of our lives, including the way we think about marriage. If you hadn't had a chance to read Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, it's worth your time. And he says that individualism is responsible for creating what he calls me-marriage. Me-marriage, which is marriage redefined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. In other words, marriage is about me. Me and my spouse and the way that we draw our fulfillment and our satisfaction from each other. Me, marriage, is self-focused and inward-looking precisely because that it has to be if in here is where meaning is found and where my greatest needs are met. Does that make sense? It's a very postmodern, very Western way of seeing ourselves and the world. And by default, it's going to be the way that we think about marriage precisely because we live and breathe individualism. What I want us to hear tonight is that this view of marriage, it's way too small. It's an epic undersell because the truth is there's far more going on when it comes to marriage. One of my sons at the moment has the problem of finishing his food too quickly. (laughs) Now I don't mean he, he eats too fast, he eats too little. He'll sit down shove a spoon of wheat bix in his mouth and then proudly declare, I'm done. And off he trots. It's like, happens almost every meal at the moment. You go over, and look in his bowl and it's like, nah mate, you're not. There's heaps of wheat bix still in there. You ain't done yet. Keep going. And that's what I'm saying tonight about marriage in a way. Like, no, mate, (laughs) there's a whole lot more marriage in that bowl. Keep going. I want the way that we see marriage to be expanded. I want it I want to supersize it. I want us to see it the way that God sees it. And I want us to see the way that marriage has so much more to offer you, so much more to offer everyone around you, and and so much more even to offer God himself. Marriage is more. And that brings us to our reading tonight from the very first chapters of the Bible. You know, I've always found it pretty incredible that marriage... Rates are mentioned so early on. It's like there's over a thousand chapters in the Bible, and yet marriage pops up in just the second. It's like literally, in the beginning was God, turn a page, bang, there's marriage. <laughs> what do we find? Well, the opening chapters of the Bible hold out a definition, a definition of marriage that goes something like this marriage is the joyous union between a man and a woman in hope of creating. A shared family. There are really three defining features that are part of this picture from the very beginning. Two people of the opposite sex who intend to stay together. That's the Bible's definition. That's actually Jesus's definition and so that's our definition of marriage here at St. Matt's and and as I say that I know that it's increasingly at odds with the way our culture defines marriage these days. You know that's okay we shouldn't be surprised when we differ you know even here in these opening chapters we find that marriage is more and our first point includes it includes more than you two. by which i mean marriage was made to both look out and invite in take a look in your bibles with me at verse 18 The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. It is not good for the man to be alone. I think we read that verse and we assume that his problem is loneliness. The poor guy's got no one to talk to. So marriage looks like it's God's solution to the problem of loneliness. But, you know, I think that assumption is driven more by our individualism And the influence of romanticism then what's actually happening in the text here because nowhere is adam's mental or emotional state mentioned instead you go a few first a few verses beforehand and we see that god is outlining this great task that god has given to the man do you see that there to work and cultivate and tend to the garden i mean you think about it right surely Adam can't be lonely because he's got God in his singles bubble. (laughs) The reason it's not good that that he's alone, the reason that God goes and creates the woman is because Adam can't possibly do the task God has given him without her. He needs a counterpart for the mission. So you see, from the very beginning, marriage is not firstly for the couple, it's for something outside of themselves. It's for them to look outward together together at a shared mission for this first couple that involves tending to the garden cultivating and growing it and and not just growing plant life but growing human life as well that's actually central to the mission that's t- that God has declared over humanity at the at the end of Genesis chapter 1 if you're familiar with that passage God blessed them it says and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Increase in number. There's really only one way to do that. And it doesn't involve copying and pasting. That'd be boring. (laughs) From the very beginning, marriage was set up to be a relationship that welcomes in the stranger, even if that stranger is your own biological child. And can I just say, having had through them myself, when you first meet them, they really do look strange. And of course, it's not just having your own children. There are a million and one ways for a couple to open their home and their hearts to the strangers in our world and to create a place of welcome instead of solitude and escape. I'm sure you can think of couples that you know who are great at looking out and inviting in for me, I think of my old Bible study leader, Nick, and his wife, Robin. they got three teenage daughters now. But six years ago, they, married, uh, they moved into a, a, new, a new house, and they found themselves with a spare room. Now, not wanting it to go to waste, they decided they were going to put it to use, and they became foster parents with Anglicare. Over the last five years, they've welcomed in 21 foster kids. Some for just a night, but others have stayed with them for up to two years. How incredible is that? They're part of what's called the crisis care program, which basically means they they can be called upon at any day of the week, any time of the day. Nick told me that the craziest call up that had was on Christmas Eve one year. They took in a a two-and-a-half-year-old boy who they had to pick up from the hospital because he just had his leg broken. He ended up staying with them for three months. When I asked Nick what kind of impact this had had on them uh, as a family, he said that they'd sat down beforehand and all agreed that they would only keep doing this as long as the costs never outweighed the benefits. Now he said that while it certainly hadn't always been easy or straightforward, uh, they'd never regretted doing it. Here's what he said. Growing up on the North Shore, he told me, I didn't want my kids to take what they had for granted. And it's been great for our girls to learn that life's not all about them. Good advice for marriages as well. Life's not all about them. You know, as remarkable as that seems to us, that really is just one example of a marriage doing what it was made to do, to look out and to invite in. If you're married, is the vision you have for your relationship Bigger than just the two of you. Bigger than just you and your 1.7 children, according to the census. Because the Bible calls it to be. Because marriage includes more than just you two. And you know, that that goes particularly for the way that marriages here at Night Church engage with the family of God, especially those among us who aren't married. The marriages that form part of this community actually need to be open and welcoming to the rest of this community and not just to the other married couples right to everyone that's one of the ways that we do it because marriage is more than just you two it also offers more than just your happiness that's our second point for tonight socrates you might have heard of him. He's regarded as the father of Western philosophy. He had this to say about marriage and happiness. He said this, By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> it's like, goodness, spare a thought for Mrs. Socrates. But the sentiment about happiness is one I think that we all share. Like, who wants an unhappy marriage, right? No one. Sometimes, though, the emphasis and the hope that we place on marital happiness can actually end up squandering the enormous potential for what marriage really offers. Now, Don't hear me say that joy and happiness in marriage is not a great thing. It is. And one of the things I love about the way Genesis 2 presents marriage is the joy that is evident in there. Like the moment the man sees the woman in verse 23. Take a look. He sings a song. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, he sings. I mean, it's, he's no Ed Sheeran <laughs> or Casey and Jojo for the slightly more mature. Most of you going, who? Hey. Look it up, Casey and Jojo, classic. But nevertheless, right, it's pretty awesome. Like, humanity's first recorded words are a love song. Think about that. Now, as I said at the start, I've taken over 20 weddings, and every single one of them has been gushing with a similar kind of happiness and joy, often accompanied by an Ed Sheeran song. Casey and Jojo, not so much. Can you see the problem, though? If happiness is all marriage has got to offer us. That's it. I mean, how, how do you go on top the excitement of courtship or the thrill of the chase or the elation of the wedding day itself? Like... God willing, you've got 50 years of marriage ahead of you. Happiness doesn't work like that in anything. So if all we're expecting from marriage is that it's going to make us perpetually happy, then we're not only in for a rude shock, (laughs) but we're also massively selling marriage short because it offers us so much more than just making us feel good. Back to Genesis 2 for a moment. I love the fact that when God brings the man and the woman together, (laughs) neither of them is the complete package. they're they're both lacking something. The man obviously is lacking because that was the whole reason God brings the woman into the picture in the first place, right? So he's got got to learn how to partner. He's got to learn how to rely on another to team up with someone else, right? And And the woman, well, she missed God's instruction the first time around, that whole kind of, don't eat that tree, it'll kill you. But she missed that. So the man would have had to catch her up on all of that, so, as these two come together, neither of them is the finished, complete package. They've both got room to learn and grow and develop, and that is a beautiful thing. I found a quote this week that I absolutely love. <laughs> I'm going to use it all the time now in wedding prep. Sav and Dan, be prepared. It's from a book called uh, Love That Lasts. It says this. One of the best wedding gifts that God gives you is a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. I love that. I mean, the truth is, we all have rough edges, right? Some that we're aware of, others that we are oblivious to, until someone gets so close close enough to help us see those edges. You know, that's what happens with intimate friendships, by the way, and and that's one of the things that makes those kinds of friendships so great. But it's also something that happens in a marriage. Two people with their own rough edges coming together, there's always going to be some friction. We actually need to embrace it, explore it, learn from it, grow from it, rather than just run from it. It's kind of like if you were to take two large, rough stones of the same substance, each one with with rough edges and cracks in different places, and you would to place them side by side so close that they were touching, and then over time just shifted them back and forth, what would happen? Well, the rough edges would become smooth, and what started as sharp over time would get removed to both the stones. That's what marriage offers to do. And that's not always a happy process, right? In fact, it's almost always quite uncomfortable. (laughs) But just because you're not happy in the moment doesn't mean that it's not good. And when a couple is able to approach this process well with humility and honesty and with gentleness and self-reflection and plenty of forgiveness, then the times of friction and tension they actually end up enriching the relationship and, and help form both of you into better, and dare I say it, happier people. For those who are married, spend some time this week reflecting on how it is your partner has helped you to be better, and don't forget to thank them for it. And for those of you who want to be married, don't be fooled into thinking that happiness is the pinnacle Of what marriage delivers because there is so much more goodness on offer than just that now we've heard that marriage includes more than just you two it offers more than just your happiness thirdly marriage expresses more than just your love it's actually an expression of the ultimate love that God has shown to us now this is not an idea that's so much uh, found in Genesis 2 though It is true that God's entire act of creation, and the creation, of course, of the man and the woman, is an outworking of his love. But throughout Scripture, this is a thread that you can find. Marriage is used as an image, as an illustration, to describe God's love and commitment to us. And so then we find that one of the great purposes of marriage is to actually point beyond itself, and to reveal to us God's very nature, that He loves you and I with an everlasting love, that He's committed and faithful to us, even when we don't act that way towards Him, and that He's willing to give of Himself in every way to restore His union with His Beloved. To quote Keller one final time, because he just nails it when he puts it like this, he says that marriage was created to be a reflection on the human level, of our ultimate love relationship and union with the Lord. It is a sign and a foretaste of the future kingdom of God. It points us to the real marriage that our souls need and the real family our hearts were made for. As more as marriage might be, it is not ultimate, but it points us to what is one of the most powerful counter-narratives we can offer to a culture that is obsessed with me marriage and individualism. You know, I find my meaning in here. One of the most powerful things we can say is to show that we have actually found our satisfaction in something else. That our marriages don't have to carry all of that weight because we've found something more lasting and more meaningful. And that something is a someone. Jesus Christ. You see, when marriages flourish, when they're operating as the best version of themselves, they actually proclaim the gospel and give glory and praise to God. When couples are willing to look out and invite the stranger in, they're pointing to the way that God's done that with us. When couples are willing to bear with each other's rough edges, they become a living symbol of the way that God was willing to bear with our rough edges. And when I reflect back on the 13 years that I've had married Belle the most powerful and profound moments of repentance and forgiveness in my life have happened with her the grace that she's shown me with all of my rough edges it reflects the even greater grace God has shown to all of us I look at her love for me despite my brokenness and failures and it makes me go wow That's like God's love. May the marriages here at St. Matt's be marriages that are more, more open to the stranger, more resilient to the rough edges, and more willing to bear witness not to their love but to God's love. Amen? Amen.